You're listening to their Auto Be a Law, the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by me, Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has worked to make cars safer. my car, but I uh, did have to avoid a very aggressive Tesla driver who decided from the far, the lane three, the left lane to say, hey, let me cut across all of these, cut over to make an exit where the exit is, you know, it's uh, that, I, I don't know, what what is that called? That that kind of V The gore. The gore. Is it called the gore? Yeah. Well, he tried to gore me. Because he's just like, cuts over the gore, and I'm like, what are you doing? Full self-idiot. That's what mode he was in. Hey, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to another episode of There Ought to Be a Law. I don't know why. A gory story. Started with a gory story. Started with a gory story. Um, are Are we ready? I think we're ready. Good, because I already pressed record, and it's too late at that point. We're we're down the rabbit hole. Um, so we are committed. Let's uh let's get into the most important thing of the day, and not the Tesla trying to crash into me, but the California Public Utilities Commission is having a vote on July thirteenth. So the day this is published, this episode. If you're listening to this episode now, and you live in California, and it is not yet eleven a.m. You can go and view this meeting happening. Um, this is a vote to see if California will force San Francisco and I think another city in California to have all autonomous vehicles operate 24 hours a day um, with so they can continue to stop over fire hoses, block intersections, and do all sorts of things. The vote is Thursday. It's I guess it's just for the members of the California Public Utilities Commission. Can the public participate? The public can participate, and they should participate. I believe they can file comments prior to the vote. And I, I don't know about uh, testimony at this point. You probably have to sign for that in advance. But this isn't going away. This issue is going to come up again and again. You know, wherever you live in California, um, at some point, your city will probably have this come into play. And un- unfortunately, at this point, your city has very little say in in what ultimately happens. It's going to be a decision made at the state level, regardless of the impacts you see in individual cities. So we have a link to the uh the voting information for the, the California Public Utility Commission. And also we have a link to this fun article in MSN where it starts off. Oh, that, please. That other city in California you mentioned is called Los Angeles. It's a it's a well known metropolitan area. Huh. Never heard of it. Yeah, apparently they don't have any traffic problems down there uh right now. So the whole idea of introducing any marginal additional problems due to self-driving cars is it's got to be a good idea I, I i can't see any consequences at all of that uh you know tesla spontaneous or self-driving car spontaneously stopping on the 110 freeway i don't see how that could be a problem it won't happen i mean clearly 
these things don't happen. But anyway, so in this article in MSN, we have a link to, it starts off, On a recent Friday evening, a driverless car pulled up alongside an outdoor dining shed in the Mission District of San Francisco, put on its hazard lights, and waited. As traffic began to pile up behind the vehicle, a man smoking a cigarette outside a nearby bar rolled his eyes. I don't drive a car, he grumbled, so I don't really care about these things. I assume since he's smoking a cigarette, he must be French, and it must be, I don't know, the 1940s. Uh, but that sentiment there of him saying, I don't drive a car, so I don't care about these things, is uh, stupid. It's stupid, because he is a participant in society. I assume he doesn't just stay on that one block on that one side of the street. I assume that sometimes he might cross the street. Maybe he has a bicycle that he uses. Uh, while smoking cigarettes, uh, maybe well, and he was he was sitting in an outdoor cafe first of all, which is certainly not immune to to automobile accidents, as we've seen a few over the past years. As you know, dining moved outdoors for the pandemic. I think we probably saw a few more of those types of collisions than usual. But you know, I don't care. I don't drive a car. I mean, it's just I, he does you... he does have an ignition source between his lips, so. <laughs> You know, he might be interested in noting that 66 instances of interference with fire responses have been uh, documented by the Washington Post since the cruise vehicles started to operate in San Francisco. Well, keep in mind, it's not just our friend Kyle at Cruise and his company producing less than good products. It's also our friends at Google, Waymo, and uh, Apple. And Amazon. Amazon, yeah. So there's a lot of people, you know, that want to get between that guy's lips. I'm not really sure what that last part meant. But. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let that go. Is this G-rated or what are we doing here? I don't know. But it it's fascinating because it's it, – so related to this is this is continuing our theme of everything will be better in the future. But right now, activists in the San Francisco area are fighting back against AVs in the most fascinating way possible. So we've talked about all the problems these these vehicles have, and they found an interesting, very simple solution to stop these cars, disable them on the street. They put a traffic cone right on the hood. They just come up to one of these cars, find a traffic cone. They're everywhere. There's literally 22 of them right outside of my building right now. Um, and they grab one, and they put it on the AV, and the AV just stops which is good because you can control where it stops as opposed to now where they just give up wherever they want. No? I, I guess that's good. I'm still trying to figure out whether that's good or not. I mean, it's good to have a you know a local form of protest that might have an impact. It certainly seems to be having some sort of an impact. I'm less, you know, I, I guess I have doubts about where the cones are being deployed on these vehicles and whether they might be contributing to some of the issues we're seeing. Uh, on San Francisco's roads, are, are are these activists being really careful about where they're stopping these vehicles? Is probably my biggest concern. Um, but if you know, it's it's good to know that the uh, Cruise AI and the Waymo AI. I'm not sure what maybe working on both of them is picking up traffic cones. Um, it's bad <laughs> that the traffic cones are throwing the vehicles into as we've called it before, an existential crisis from which they need an engineer to hop in a, another car and go out 30 minutes or so to fix the problem. Well, they're picking up traffic cones when they're on the roof of their car. 
we're not so sure how well they pick up traffic cones when they're actually on the street. I wonder if the police should start carrying traffic cones so that poor police officer who was trying to control the AV a couple of weeks back, uh, you know, might have just plunked a traffic cone on the car. I guess it uh, must just uh, be detected by the cameras and seen as an obstruction, which would cause the car to stop. Interesting, interesting approach. We don't recommend it, by the way, but, you know, it's the idea is out there. We don't recommend it, but if you go to the auto safety, the Center for Auto Safety store, you can buy your own traffic cone right now. <clears throat> we should totally do that. Can we do that? Or traffic cone t-shirts? Oh, my God, traffic cone t-shirts. This is a brilliant idea. I think that'd be a great giveaway for the third person to call in. With <laughs> <laughs> Wait, giveaway? Fred, this is a nonprofit we look right in if you think well, you'd, you'd love a traffic cone t-shirt if they give them away <laughs> then you know it'll even reduce our profits further so i i think it's consistent with our goal okay <laughs> fred keep in mind is the engineer ladies and gentlemen math not his strong point <laughs> um so yeah there's there's a couple of great articles we have on this on the the last couple of things we're talking about the the California Public Utility Commission vote happening on July 13th which as we record this is tomorrow um and this the activists putting <laughs> safety cones on top of vehicles and Again, and then I think next week we've got a lot going on on all autonomous vehicles from a legislative perspective the house Republicans introduced a bill that is, I mean, for better, I don't have any really better words to describe it than awful and outdated um, last week. And so we're monitoring that and we plan to make that the focus of our discussion next week. Oh, that sounds exciting. But this is, at, this is at the federal level, correct? Not the state? This is at the federal level. This is where the lobbyists for the AV industry are trying to get federal law to preempt state laws so that the states who are controlling things now don't have any power. So not only will localities not have power, neither will states. Well, what a world we're living in. Things will be better in the future. Speaking of things being better in the future... Toyota says it has made a technological breakthrough that will allow it to half the weight, size, and cost of batteries in what could herald a major advance for electric vehicles. Uh, Toyota basically says, hey, we've got solid-state batteries ready, and we're going to put them out by 2025, which is, if true, phenomenal, amazing. Is it true? I don't know. I haven't examined the uh, the details of that, but it is. Could well be true. There's an awful lot of activity going on to increase the specific energy of batteries. The question is, would they take that additional capability and turn it into reduced weight, or would they turn it into increased range of these vehicles? It could go either way, and there's, there's no way of knowing which way they're going to go. I guess that would be determined by their marketing people. Yeah, and this article from The Guardian, uh, which we have a link to, uh, it says they've developed ways to make batteries more durable and believed it could now make a solid-state battery with a range of 745 miles that could charge in 10 minutes or less. 
that would be you know that would be absolutely amazing and it would solve a lot of the problems that i think a lot of the resistance you see from people who are really concerned about the range of these things um it, i think it would solve a lot of problems for people who are working and are towing and are doing some of the heavier jobs that you know the current pickups that are on the market the electric vehicles don't really provide a lot of that for you know your average farmer or someone who's actually using these trucks for work the size of a battery needed right now to allow you to do those things is in you know probably weighs more than two or three cars um so a solid state battery would you know not only not only increase the range but allow a lot more work to be done by those folks who need to get it done um as opposed to you know the neighborhood dad who buys a ten thousand pound truck so he can look good <laughs> okay aesthetic uh observations aside uh this is uh this is fascinating and really as far as i can tell on this toyota seems to be the only one really saying hey we're gonna do this we have it ready whereas every other oem says yeah it's gonna happen but toyota's really putting it out there well toyota was you know they, they their ceo got in a lot of trouble and they've been in a lot of trouble because they're not willing to 100 commit to evs as the only thing and the only answer that's ever going to work which i think is a silly criticism of them because they've been the leaders on some of the hydrogen fuel cell stuff and on hybrids and on other ways of propelling vehicles and mechanisms of transportation without solely relying on electricity and you know as we know a grid that's not quite up to snuff yet um and you know half of america is not convinced and isn't bought in that that evs are the only solution that's because the cars that are coming out so far are too expensive and they don't allow for uh you, you to go a long way if you're towing something or, or you're you're working so there's a long way to go and i think a solid state battery if it comes out of toyota by 2025 is incredible and and would really revolutionize the market and make it a lot more you know hopefully make some cheaper vehicles come become available on the market for folks that can't afford something under forty thousand dollars um, and also put, you know, trucks and work vehicles out there that people who right now don't think they can rely on EVs, it could as assuage their concerns as well. Someone who's not going to like this is any company that has invested billions of dollars in a new factory to build lithium-ion batteries. Um, so I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out if this is I don't think this is a Betamax versus VHS type of competition because Toyota has sufficient market presence to move ahead with their new technology, regardless of what their competitors in the lithium ion battery business uh, care to do. I, I, this is going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. And we don't have a, um, I don't know if we've gone back and covered this right now, but a solid state battery is really really important for a lot of reasons um to us obviously we're talking about range and, and power and those type of things right now but also it's certainly worth considering that the fire risk with them as i believe non-existent or very low um and also you know when you can make a battery with that much range you can reduce the weight of batteries that you're putting in your everyday cars and you know battle physics and 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 
uh, in crashes. Basically, the the less weight involved in crashes, the you know the less deadly they're going to be. Take that, physics. We got an article from the New York Times about why car repairs have become so expensive. And I have this issue a lot with my vehicle. Okay, I have to bring it to the auto body shop because somebody else who drives the car scraped up part of it, removed the paint, and you can see the the steel undercarriage and there's this this brownish reddish material appearing there now. And uh, that other driver's like, "Well, I'm taking it to the beach this weekend." And I'm like, "Rust! Come on!" <laughs> this is like, you know, I mean, I don't know how long it takes. And I thought that it looked like the body was aluminum. Maybe mm. it, it does aluminum rust. Aluminum does not rust. So it's not it, aluminum. Okay. Not aluminum. No. Nope, you, you, you got your basic rust bucket there. But, you know, uh, you, you got to consider that this is a small price to pay for the fact that he did not get the damn motorcycle. No, he didn't do it. He doesn't have a driver's license yet. No. <laughs> no, he does not have a driver's license. It's the other oh. driver who's uh, who's who's tested out our automatic emergency braking field of view, and we find that that isn't as great as it should be. Um, yeah. So anyway, this is a scrape, and I know taking it to the auto body shop, that's they're just going to be like, that's $500. And I'm like, really? Just give me an angle grinder and a can of spray paint, and I'll do it. But I, I don't, I've never used an angle grinder. Did they propose at any point to uh, charge you $42,000 for a bumper repair like they did the poor guy in the article with the Rivian? No, thankfully, no, I haven't even brought it in yet, but no. So this article in the New York Times um, basically talks about how cars are becoming more and more like computers. And so any little, you know, I- injury you have to the car. So what Michael just talked about. So this guy bangs his Rivian up, which is a high-end electric truck that weighs 3 billion pounds. Um, and so it's going to, hey, you want to replace your bumper? Um, that's $42,000 because you're not replacing just the bumper. You're replacing all of the cameras that are in there, the radar that's in there. I believe Rivian has LiDAR. I don't know if that's in the bumper. The ultrasonic sensors, um, The the yeah, give everyone in the... Rivian factory, a cup of coffee. Um, yeah, th- I mean, that's $42,000. It sounds like what would happen if you dropped your computer off of a balcony or something. It's just, it, I guess it brings home the point that, the, you know, these vehicles have so many electronics packed into them that you, you're not just hitting steel anymore. You're hitting a an embedded electronic system every time there's a crash. And, and that's what's driving these costs. It would be like if you dropped 42,000 computers out of your window. <laughs> like, uh, the, the price in this is amazing. I remember when, when I found out the field of view on our uh, automatic emergency braking wasn't that great. I mean, insurance paid for it, but you you know, you know see the bill that the insurance company says, this is how much it cost. And I'm like, that's half the price of the car. This is nonsense. You guys are doing some weird weird math here. It didn't cost that much. Um, but... I mean, you know, then it just gives the insurance company a justification to raise my rates a couple hundred bucks a year. Um, but yeah, so this is uh, this is fascinating. They're saying part of the issue is because, well, in the case of Rivian, it's a new company and yeah. not enough people know how to do it, which fair enough. But they're also talking about um, repairing electric models is more expensive than repairing gasoline. Um, 
because uh, I lost my place in the article. You know, I should be able to do this. Well, I now. think it's the, it's more <laughs> expensive to repair the electric vehicles for many of the same reasons. They're so new that the parts distribution isn't as you know, as wide as what's been established with ICE vehicles over the year. And the manufacturers are somewhat new. Right. And it's um, with everything so integrated like that. I mean, you used to be able to just kind of use a part from one place and put it into another place. And I can't tell if both Michael and Fred froze or just Michael froze. Really, oh, you no. know, the past couple of years with the, the supply chain. And, and, you know, this suggests that, you know, a lot of the arguments for electric vehicles are that they require less maintenance and they require, you know, less hands-on time. But when you get in the crash, it, it may be that they require more because of the complexity of the systems and the sensors and things that are generally going to be available more so on electric vehicles at this point than on the internal combustion engine. Well, you've also got to recognize that all vehicles are not created the same. If you want a vehicle to be easy to repair, you have to build that in as a requirement for the vehicle. And conventional cars have been doing this for a very long time. Established car companies have been doing it for a very long time, and they've learned that customers are very unhappy if you have to rebuild the entire vehicle to change the spark plug. These newer companies are only just now starting to feel the growing pains of having to persist in the market rather than just pump something out for the the early adopters. And I think this is part of it as well. That article goes on to say that there was some particular part that spanned the entire vehicle from the rear bumper to the front uh, A pillar, right. which is the, the A pillar for our readers is, or listeners is uh, the thing that basically supports the windshield and, and the roof, so the front of the car. That's a really dumb design to have to span the entire vehicle in order to replace a bumper. But this is something that companies throw into as they persist in a marketplace. If they're going to persist in a marketplace, um, I, th- I would guess that, that whatever insurance company financed the repair of this vehicle is going to be very circumspect about insuring their next Rivian truck. Um, Time, you know, time will tell, but time tends to move people towards design for easy repair. And uh, is Rivian, that's one of the companies where every car they've ever manufactured has been recalled at this point, too. This is unrelated, but... Yeah, I think yeah. you should, it's, it's almost unavoidable if you're producing Listen, a small yeah. batch of all the same things once you have, you know, one recall that covers the design of the of the vehicle rather than the manufacturer. It's going to cover your whole fleet. Because I, I saw a Lucid drive down my street the other day, and I just wanted to stop the driver and be like, oh, I'm sorry. That's just too bad. You spent $120,000 on a lemon. But that's just me being a jerk. Because, hey, <laughs> no one disagreed. They just looked at me. Um, speaking well, of being a oh yes, please. Self awareness is always a good thing. Yeah, and mindfulness. You know, a, Anthony yeah. needs to practice mindfulness. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just upset that I mean I don't have 130 thousand dollars to spend on a car. What you don't like? Anyway. You don't like slow turtle mode? <laughs> no slow turtle mode. I do not like limp home mode in my Ferrari. I mean limp home mode. My Ferrari is probably faster than my Toyota. Uh, anyway. 
Um, speaking of uh, lack of self-awareness and whatnot, another Tesla plowed into a fire engine on Highway 680 in Fremont, California. A Tesla plows into a stationary fire truck that is responsible to a multiple vehicle crash in Interstate 680, and the Tesla said, we want to be part of the party. Come on, let us in. Uh, the Fremont Fire Department said one of its fire engines was on the northbound lanes of traffic at Auto Mall Parkway. Really? That's something called Auto... Uh, when it was hit by a Tesla Model Y, the Tesla driver unfortunately had to be hospitalized. No firefighter, firefighters were injured. And it was not immediately known whether the Tesla was in self-driving mode at the time of the crash. So, Michael, forget self-driving mode. Forget autopilot. How often do normal, average drivers just crash into stationary fire trucks all the time uh no really yeah yeah i mean it's very common i mean that's the stuff that tesla's supposed to be fixing but yes um you know i could for as an example uh we had a defect in uh crown victoria police vehicles where their fuel tank was incorrectly placed in the late 90s early 2000s time period and you know, police officers were routinely being killed and burned because drunk drivers and sleeping drivers, whatever they are, drivers not paying attention or colliding with um, these vehicles with blue lights, very clear object in front of your vehicle you shouldn't hit all the time. I mean, it happens all the time. And I think it's a, a really important part of training for all those folks is is trying to keep an eye out for that type of thing because it, it happens frequently because i've seen situations where you have a, a a police car pulled somebody over for speeding for example they have them on the shoulder and drivers who just drive in the right lane really fast still next to them which is insane um the only time i've never experienced that was in the state of montana where everybody's doing you know minimum 90 miles per hour but anytime there was any car pulled over on the shoulder, everyone would get out and free up that lane, which yep. I thought was amazing. And it's required in a lot of states um, as well, voter right. laws. And it's important. And, and, and that's why those laws exist, because there have been so many injuries and deaths to emergency responders. And also, this is you know part of road crews and working crews on, the, on interstates and other roads, protecting them as well. All right. So in this particular case, though, I, I mean, from looking at the video of it, there's two fire trucks and what they extend over two lanes, more or right. less. They already have traffic cones down. So it's not this kind of common scenario where we see on the shoulder like just that and they're hugging it. This is a pretty like this is, hey, we're blocking a lot of traffic. There's cones. It's the middle of the day. It's sunny. It's very bright outside. I know you don't have exact data on this but that's no it's it's like obvious to anyone but a really bad driver a really dumb computer camera system on a vehicle that's not working properly don't you dare call tesla dumb <laughs> my tesla will fight you in a cage match uh, <laughs> i can't wait to watch that one but you know it's it kind of runs into you know something else we were this are thinking about discussing which is you know do you really trust your vehicle to make these decisions for you i mean do you do you trust a vehicle to make a decision as to whether or not you potentially kill and injure emergency responders 
Or would you rather just, you know, have the creature comfort of letting your car drive you home? Um, that's that's something I think everyone should really think hard about before they turn on autopilot or any of these other systems, particularly when it appears that doing so could ultimately subject you to criminal liability, even though Elon Musk is telling you everything's fine and dandy. Right. I, I know anytime I have um, uh, automated cruise control and lane keeping assessed on the car and, and my wife and I are on a long road trip, she gets very angry when she finds out that I have it on. But I still have my hands on the wheel. I'm still paying attention. Like we were in the stop and go traffic and I'm like, you know, we're moving five miles per hour. I'm just going to put this on. And it's a the, the car. Unfortunately, it's software is very kind of heavy on the brake. And so she's giving me this dirty look like what is wrong with you? Why can't you drive? And I'm like, it's not me, it's the car. And that was the wrong answer. That was the wrong answer. <laughs> I applaud your wife for being being the, uh, the, you know, well, everything in the family. <laughs> Is there a right answer in that situation? Uh, I, I, no, no. You, you no, turn, my right off, you turn it off and say, yes, dear. Come on. Right, I know. I mean, at highway speeds, it's much fine. It doesn't do that. Like, it's it's much smoother. Um, but yeah, so, so speaking of this, uh, of, uh, of people, Hey, I want autopilot and, uh, and full self lying driving on all the time. There's a lot of, uh, items you can buy to ensure that your Tesla is driving itself at all times. Uh, they're called, uh, you want to relieve your shoulder pain is driving too hard for you. Holding that steering wheel, that 10 and two, not good enough for you. Well, you can get wheel weights or wheel knobs. Basically, hang a weight off your steering wheel. It convinces the Tesla that there's a torque applied to the steering wheel. And for astute listeners, two weeks ago, Fred explained what torque is. Um, they're, they're, he's looking at me like I can ask you again what torque is, and you won't. No, no, it. no, no. I'm really eager. I can go through that again. <laughs> no, no. We we we've got better stuff for you. Uh, and so you can buy all these things to overcome the, the limitation, which is not much of a limitation. It's literally you can just rest your hands on the steering wheel. Um, but is it is it Tesla drivers who are just like, hey, I believe that my car is better than these regulations? No, there are people in the world who like to jump out of airplanes. <laughs> Uh, your turn. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't think it's just Tesla drivers. I mean, I think it's there's a combination. There are people who trust the vehicle. There are people. Who come, there are literally people walking this earth who think that Teslas can drive themselves, and they want to enable those vehicles to do so. Um, and then there are people who, like, I assuming are just lazy and don't want to deal with what is. You know, driving's not fun. It's I mean, for you know, you you some people enjoy cruising down you know, a beautiful highway in the sunset. And, and that's what you see on car commercials. But, you know, driving in D.C. at rush hour raises my blood pressure. It's not something we all like to do. And as you know, Americans will sometimes take the easy way out. And in a lot of cases, I think this is just, you know, folks who are lazy and don't want to drive home or want to, you know, let the car pretend to drive while they play a video game or do something else. So Tesla... um is not really directly involved here as the bad guy. There's a there's a group that about five years ago, I think it was a while back, that was producing these little rubber 
implements called Tesla buddies that you could put on the steering wheel to fool whatever the software was doing back then. This is just kind of another iteration of that. And it's actually ordered them to cease and desist sales of that product. Although I don't think they really did. They just labeled it as for off course use, kind of like GM does with the WTF mode on the Hummer as though that somehow erases legal liability there. Um, but, you know, I think it's just, you know, lazy people or people who trust the technology far too much who are taking advantage of this. And, you know, going back to the previous thing we talked about, that's going to expose them to liability. Yes. So talk to us more about liability because we have an update on a store we've talked about a few times where this was a a Tesla Model S on autopilot in 2019. It ran the red light out in California and it slammed into a uh, Honda Civic while it was traveling at 74 miles per hour. Um, the, the person did this at night, uh, and they were recently sentenced to uh, probation, and they killed two people right. um, in this car crash. So is h- how is it written now? I mean, is it because what, what's the law? Hey, my car drove it. My car did it, which, you know, my wife doesn't like that answer. Um, but the judge seemed kind of okay with it i think it's pretty pretty clear under the law that if you're choosing to rely on a technology that's unproven to drive your car for you and you kill people you're going to be held criminally liable in some form now in this case you know the guy didn't get jail time i don't believe or or anything no truly punitive in that in that way but um, I'm not aware of what the you know the average sentence would be, for instance, for someone who ran a red light and killed two people in the absence of this technology. It may be a very similar sentence. It may be you know that they're not prosecuted because there's not that aggravating factor of the autopilot being turned on. I, I just don't know what what typically California would do in that circumstance, but. Um, so it, it's it's unclear whether you know you're exposing yourself to any additional liability, but you can be held criminally liable in California for for using and trusting autopilot and you know committing harm to other humans. Can the driver of the vehicle sue Tesla and say, "Hey, I was using your software and it failed"? He could try if he wants to deal with the mountain of lawyers that Tesla is going to throw at him. That's going to be a very expensive case. This episode brought to you by the Mountain of Lawyers. If you'd like to help fight against the Mountain of Lawyers, go to autosafety.org, click on the donate button. Can you imagine an actual Mountain of Lawyers? That would be the worst vacation ever. (laughs) Don't go up here. The rocks are loose. (laughs) Hey, hey, oh, you got a sprained ankle there? All right, come here. Talk to me, buddy. Oh, how's that ambulance getting up this mountain? (laughs) All right, uh... I think, I mean, I don't know, Ted, uh, Ted, I just call you Ted Fred. Hey, Fred, <laughs> Fred, your name's now Ted. I've decided that's what it is. Um, I, I think let's, let's go into the, the, the towel of Fred. Is this the towel of Fred? <laughs> or the, is it the towel of Ted? I'm not, the, however I, that goes. I don't know. Ted's towels. <clears throat> uh, it's funny because the, uh, the, the, uh, automated transcription software always refers to it as the towel of Fred. And I always have to fix that. So you're entering the towel of Fred. All right. So I have a question for you, Anthony. Uh, Oh, no. So your car was identified the last six months in a row, parked for a half hour 
at your Aunt Edna's house the day before your rent was due, but no other time. What should we conclude from that data? She's totally my aunt, okay? She's totally my aunt. Okay, look. Yep, that's that's what you should conclude from that data. Uh, Wait, what? Uh, uh, okay, uh, <laughs> other conclusions could be drawn, but, but you know, related to that, would you mind sharing with us, your, your listeners here, your credit card number, the expiration date, and the security code? Would you be so kind? No, I wouldn't, but somebody actually sent me a photograph of their credit card the other day, <laughs> and I was like, oh, don't do that. This, well, <laughs> Michael, all right, I'll turn to Michael then. Your credit card uh, has been used at the local Piggly Wiggly every time they ran a special on Kleenex during the pandemic. Now, is that a coincidence, or is there some causality here? What conclusion should we draw from that? Does Piggly Wiggly make you cry, and does your credit card number start with the number four? <laughs> You know, I, 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 I am a very emotional man, maybe, and I, um, you know, I had just, I don't know, a monthly cycle to that is what makes it odd. I can't really, you know, once, maybe, maybe I cry a lot. Tissues. I don't even use tissues. His well, I know you disgusting. use your sleeve. I understand that, but it's. Yeah, synthetic fibers. But but in the Anthony's case, that... I you know, I would say you know, he could be <laughs> going and taking her social security check out of her mailbox and cat. You know, hey! That, that would be one thing you could get from that data. There's some other things that are probably even worse. So, yeah, well, the point of that, of this whole discussion, of course, is that if somebody has access to where your car is and when it's at that location, um, it's a lot of valuable information that people can glean from that, even without having the personally identifiable information that you would normally associate with somebody. So this this brings us to uh, cars and hacking. And uh, so another question for you guys. What was the first widely acknowledged vehicle hack that, that that's, uh, was known? Uh, it was when uh, Edsel Ford... Um, rewired his grandfather's Model A uh, to run off of uh, kerosene. Michael, I'm not sure that's true, but Michael, what's your guess? I guess it would be when you when you um, you don't need a key to start some of the older vehicles. You can get them going oh. down a hill and do a a kickstart and get it going. No. I, I, know, I think I know what it is, actually, because this was big in the 90s where uh, on the passenger floorboard, you could open it up. You can access some chips in there. You could pop out a chip that would defeat the uh, emissions so you'd get the car would be faster um, and you could put in a new chip. Uh, those are very creative and excellent answers. No, the last one's true. They're wrong, of course. <laughs> but uh, the, the first known hack was during something called the Trojan War. And, uh. and, and and that uh, in that instance, the Greeks, having feigned defeat, <laughs> put together a wooden horse that was filled with soldiers. And the um, people who lived in Troy were elated by this, and they actually dragged the Trojan horse inside the city walls, which the Greeks had been unable to penetrate for. 10 years or so, despite intervention of various gods and demigods. Um, it did not end up well for the Trojans. So the first instance of vehicle hacking was very bad. And uh, 
There's a guy named Christopher Ray, who is the head of the FBI, who thinks that vehicle hacking in the AV environment could be more or less equally bad. So he was uh, quoted in Davos talking about the various things that can happen. Um, so there's two main aspects of this. One is, of course, the physical security associated with the vehicles, the energy that they've got, and the energy that they could contain, including you know chemical explosives. So he said, uh, as he talked about AVs there, he said a different kind of harm we're concerned about is the enormous amount of data that autonomous vehicles, for example, aggregate, said Ray. And anytime you aggregate lots and lots of sensitive data, it makes a very tempting target. Well, that's certainly true. And that, you know, that harkens back to what we were talking about earlier, Anthony, because when people use AVs as a service for hire, their credit card information goes directly to the owner of the uh, of the AV or whatever service it is that you're subscribing to. So this is a, a lot of information is flying around out there. Uh, not only that, though, but the car, the AV, contains a lot of cameras. Some of them can be pointed inside. Some of them can be pointed outside. And so the visual images of you and whatever location the car is bringing you to can certainly be associated with the travel and associated with your credit card. So there, there's a lot of jeopardy and a lot of potential. And, and and Michael, of course, in this environment, government regulations will be very careful to protect you. So what are the regulations that protect people right now who are using AVs as a service for hire uh, to make sure that their personal information is protected, Michael? Uh, there is absolutely nothing that I'm aware of. Absolutely. Well, that is that is shocking, but okay, we'll we'll go with that. <laughs> uh, so what else can happen? Well, let's see. In 2020, researchers at McAfee used a piece of tape to change a speed limit sign from 35 miles per hour to 85 miles per hour. And uh, the Tesla that was being tested immediately changed its cruise control speed from 35 to 85 miles an hour, despite the fact that that was not the real speed limit in the area. Yeah, I don't like I don't uh, like camera speed limit sign recognition for some for that reason. You know, it seems like you could connect a system that would know where the vehicle is via GPS and know what the speed limit is and be absolutely correct, rather than having to read signs with a camera. I'm going to disagree slightly because uh, there is so many temporary speed limit signs for work zones and whatnot because my car's camera does not ever see those. Um, but you're right. No, because a lot of times speed limit signs are hidden behind shrubbery. But instead, well, the Google Maps software knows what the speed limit is. Well, you're both right. So, uh, ah, point for that, both. What it, but, but what that shows is that the control system in the vehicle using whatever kind of correlation system it might be using, including AI, has to figure out which is correct. So you are, you know, you're you are in that case substituting a machine algorithm for the human judgment that would be involved and and you know making the actual speed limit readily apparent to whoever the human driver is. One of the one of the things that really is behind the FBI director's comments. Uh, there was another instance where, uh, 2015, two cybersecurity professionals hacked into a vehicle, and uh, Andy Greenberg, 
who was a reporter for Wired magazine, drove the car under their control. And as he was driving, all of a sudden, uh, though I hadn't touched the dashboard, the vents started blasting cold air. The radio switched to the local hip-hop station and began blaring Skilo. I don't know what that is at full volume. but Skilo is a a game at amusement parks where you have like this wooden ball and you roll it up and try and get it into these hoops. Hard to see how that would be done at a hip hop station, yeah. but I'll I'll go no. with that. That's fine. You're not down with it. Then, then, <laughs> then the windshield wipers turned on, and the wiper fluid blurred the ga- glass. That's a knock. Uh, then it got it. Then it got even more yeah. fun because the, uh, the researchers then cut the jeep's transmission. All of this can happen because the cars now are filled with electronic control units connected by what's called the CAN bus, and that CAN bus is insecure. The electronic control units were insecure. So another question for Michael. Michael, I'm sure at this point, since that was uh, eight years ago, the government has leaped into action and made sure that cybersecurity is a fundamental requirement for any cars that are using electronic control systems and CAN buses and are possibly uh, vulnerable you know, to attackers. So what, regu- what regulations you know, apply to They got to that, right, right on it eight years ago, and that's why we didn't have a rash of Hyundai and Kia thefts take place over the last two years. Whoa. Wait, oh, what? What universe is this? What timeline? So, okay, we'll just let that go for a second. But, you know, there's absolutely no uh, cybersecurity regulations. um, And the government, at least NHTSA and the DOT, well, don't seem to believe that it's something they should be doing. So uh, what else can happen with AVs or or, uh, autonomous vehicles? Well, recently... In the Ukrainian invasion, the Russians filled up a tank, a T-A-N-K, big armored vehicle, with uh, estimated three and a half tons of TNT and five 100-kilogram bombs and uh, put it in, pointed it towards the Ukrainian position and let it go. So it was a self-driving vehicle filled with a couple thousand pounds of TNT and uh it exploded when it contacted the Ukrainian positions. Uh, this is a dramatic example, but you know, is this a, is this a real problem that happened in a war zone? Well, let's see. Timothy McVeigh uh, in Oklahoma City made a forty eight hundred pound bomb out of uh, oil and ammonium nitrate, none of which is a controlled material, by the way, and uh, that's about eight barrels of oil just for your reference. Um, presumably, you all remember what happened there. So is there any reason why that couldn't be put in an AV? Well, that's kind of biggish, but now they're talking about highway truck AVs that have a 20-ton limit, right? 20 tons is a lot more than 8 tons. So you can see this jeopardy there. And, you know, people, there are people in the world who will take advantage of that. And, uh, you know, we've shown that the bad actors can commandeer controls of an AV. It's been demonstrated. And you don't even really need an AV, right? Um, You just need to hack the control system of a vehicle that's connected, whether or not it's self-driving. Oh, that's right. Absolutely right. Um, 
So it's a problem that's not unique to AVs. It's a problem for all the connected vehicles. We should all be aware of that. Um, okay, but you know, no rational person would do anything stupid like that. Well, maybe not, but we've seen many instances of people using vehicles that are not equipped with explosives to just run the vehicles into pedestrians to make some political point or other, or to just be nasty people. Um, but I'm sure by now that there are security requirements in place, Michael, that require vehicles to be immune from uh, attack and to have cybersecurity protocols in there place. Is Isn't that so? And, and no one's really doing anything other than telling the auto industry that they need to they need to secure their vehicles. Um, and they're saying, oh, we will, we will. But, you know, this has been going on now since the Chrysler hack, really, in 2015. And not a lot has changed. Hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, you know, on the explosive side, just as a, as a sidelight, we've talked about uh, bombs that weigh tons and, uh, you know, the tank filled with explosives, Timothy McVeigh. But... How little, how how small a piece of explosive does it really take to be a hazard? Well, that, you know, what would fit in a Takata airbag inflator? Well, that's oh. one. That's one good example. A hand grenade, just for your information, contains four ounces of high explosive. So you don't want to be anywhere near a hand grenade when it goes off. But that's four ounces compared to the tons that uh, could be put in a vehicle. A Hummer has a load capacity of 1300 pounds so uh, a hummer with an av and a big battery uh, you can see a, a you know a lot of a lot of things could happen most of them bad so it's not just a question of people taking their hands off the steering wheel when they're in a car that has an automatic control system you also have to secure the control system against both the physical hazard of the moving vehicle and whatever bad actors could put in the vehicle to, you know, enhance the destructive energy of that vehicle. So what can be done? Okay, well, our astute listeners would recognize that the AV Consumer Bill of Rights has several protocols or several requirements. First of one is that AVs shall secure, verify, and authenticate operational commands and external communications. Now, this isn't going to protect you from bad actors, but it can protect the people who are not bad actors from the bad actors to make sure the vehicle cannot be compromised. Another uh, tenant that we've got, another requirement is that AVs must respond appropriately to emergency vehicle lights, audible signals, requirements, and manual directions from police officers. You know, AVs have got to be designed so that when somebody sees an AV is doing something hazardous, malicious, or or terrible, violating the law, trying to ram pedestrians, that a, a third party, properly equipped, can intervene and stop the damn vehicle. You know, that's, that, that's an, I think, an absolute requirement that has been completely ignored to date in all of the uh, industry regulations that are being developed and industry standards that are being developed for AVs. Um, and finally, another requirement that we've written down in the Bill of Rights is that AVs shall not sell or distribute personally identifiable information of any person to any third parties without their explicit consent. I think these are very important. I think that, you know, 
really, these requirements are not only important for the protection of your personal information, they are important for the protection of your life and the life of the people around you. Um, I'll, I'll end it there and listen for your comments. I don't drive a car, so I don't really care about these things. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good approach. That, well, but you do you do sit next to the highway apparently, so I, I perhaps do. you should think about it. I do. Um, yeah, that's a that, that's the fascinating thing for me is in this article is that the it was the FBI director who's the one pushing this, and he didn't say at any point we need access to all of this data because they already have it. Ha! Um, <laughs> but it was interesting that he's the one pushing it. Um, but that's. That was a, a change of pace for the FBI, I think. Can we get him on? Uh, Mr. Ray, if you're free, come on come on down. We'd love to have you as our guest. Yes, but uh, I've been lying. My name is not. Exactly. We're going to have to get show. Anthony cleared um, before that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we already know he's French. He's, he's French. He likes to frequent restaurants. Uh, yeah, and I like the cigarettes. cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's read the Sartre. Um Speaking of Sartre, uh, the, our friends at the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety put out another uh, report about small pickup trucks fall, fall short when it comes to rear seat safety. Um, so they're doing a lot of expanded tests, and they're smashing a lot of vehicles and really cool videos. And basically, if you're in a small truck and um, you're in the back seat, Ooh, it's not going to do out so well. So the Ford Ranger earns a marginal rating in the Chevrolet Chevrolet Colorado Jeep Gladiator. Jeep Gladiator, like really? Well, what kind of person do you have to be? I'm like, I want to buy the Jeep Gladiator, and the Toyota Tacoma are all rated poor. This is a different question. No, I don't care about rear seat safety. Really, you're gonna you're a grown up, and you're gonna buy a car called a Gladiator? Well, if you if you were a football player in the Washington Commanders, then I think you've got a consistent set of protocols. Uh, if I'm making football money, I am not buying that car. Okay, I got a McLaren. I don't even know what that is. No, I do. It's a McLaren high end no, that, that, car. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's kind of. A, I think you have to smoke cigarettes for McLaren a, drivers. <laughs> That's a problem that I think is 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 it's really good that they pointed out. But you'll if you look at those um, small pickups with the extra additional row of seating, inevitably you see a, a short bed on them. So they basically taken the normal model with the long bed and crowbarred a passenger seating area into that space, um, which you know it. it, it Clearly, the vehicle wasn't designed around the the pickup was never designed around the idea that we're going to have two rows of seating in it. It was meant to be taking loads from place to place, and seating was only really needed for a driver, maybe a passenger. But in um, the modern vehicle design and whatever demand there is for a giant family pickup that can haul loads and five people. Um, in the world we live in now where that seems to make sense to some folks, we've got this problem because manufacturers or even the smaller pickups want to add passenger capacity to them. And they're basically plopping passenger seating down where the tailgate, I mean, where the uh, bed of the pickup used to be, shortening the bed so you had even less carrying capacity. And they're selling them. Um, 
it appears they need to do a lot more testing of their designs before crowbarring these things into the in, into position. And I don't know if either of you have ever sat in the back seat, the rear seat of these vehicles. They're not seats so much as they are posture improvement centers. Um, there, there is. It's a straight back, no cushion. Um, I, I think uh, we could have saved a lot of money. Just not had Guantanamo Bay. Just sat a bunch of people in the back of those for a bit, and I would have confessed to everything. Did. I think there's room back there for your. Uh, I think there's room back there for your AR-15 and your rakes and hoes and things. But uh, I don't think too many human beings are ending up back there. I did want to point out that these tests they did that showed the unsafe back seats were with unloaded pickup trucks. So if Correct. you had a significant amount of weight in the back of the pickup truck, it's only gonna get uh, that would not help. Right. That would make things even worse. Yeah. Yeah, because of this show, I'm afraid to put anything in my car because I just any time I put something in there, yep. I'm like, oh, this is a projectile. So I only put um, uh, cotton candy in my car from now on. Good. Recall time. That's progress. That's progress. <laughs> My dentist agrees. Honda of America is recalling potentially 124,077 vehicles. They are the 2020-2021 Honda Civics, 2020-23 Honda Ridgeline, 2021-23 Honda Passport. You can read all this on oh, some Acura MDX. And the description of the defect is the brake master cylinder may have been improperly fastened to the brake booster assembly during production resulting in loose or missing tie ride nuts we installed this on a friday and it was bob's birthday and we were all really looking forward to go down to the, uh, the uh, we're gonna get drunk and look we just we messed <laughs> up that night okay okay look this is what happens we're a non-unionized shop that was a lot there at once well no in this case it's the it's pretty late model uh hondas and a lot of them um well not a, not an extreme amount but one hundred twenty four thousand civics ridge lines passports from around 2020 through 2023 um so the let's see that's a small civic and then a pickup and an suv and that's a brake failure with a, a i think there's a tie rod missing a nut and honda appears to have figured out that these nuts might be missing around 2020 but it, it, they seem to be, <laughs> at least in the Part 573, blaming the supplier a little for the problem because they are noting that they corrected the supplier in 2020, and yet this problem appears to have continued into the present. So it results in basically your brake booster and your master cylinder, the tie rod that connects the two, separates, and you lose completely lose braking or very diminished so that is certainly something that we want our listeners to be a lookout for because i guarantee you there are a couple that own one of these vehicles right our friends at mercedes are recalling uh, a little more than eight thousand vehicles for the 2022 2023 mercedes-benz c300 amg c43 and in this case the transmission wiring harness could chafe on the front drive shaft which could potentially damage the wiring harness in a loss of vehicle propulsion. Propulsion. Um, due to a production deviation at a supplier, the length of a certain batch of wiring harnesses might be outside the spec- specified tolerance range. So, hey, yeah. blame your supplier. Well, this one, because one, it's hard to tell whether the stuff. design was 
running the wiring harness too close to the front drive axle in the first place. But um, that wiring harness appears to be pretty important because it's controlling your transmission function and, you know, it'll fire off an engine light. Who knows what else it will do? There's so many connected electrical components in these vehicles. So um, don't run your wiring harnesses near your drive axle. How about that? That's a good idea. Uh, and lastly, Ford Motor Company, uh, 2020 to 2021, Ford Escapes, estimated over 300,000 vehicles affected. The spot welds and the check arm attachment points in the door assembly, who writes these things, may, uh, may fail, causing the door not to operate as intended. Um, basically, the door might pop open. While yeah, you're there driving, are any number of things. Bad, is- you won't be able to close it. You know, in, anytime your door isn't in the position that it's supposed to be in a crash, you know, that vehicle's not going to perform as it did in crash tests and other things. In addition to the possibility of you being ejected, falling out while driving, a number of different scenarios. So that's, a, you know, a good number, a lot of consumer complaints coming into NHTSA on that specific issue. And I, you know, the Makes me wonder why NHTSA has to conduct an investigation. That seems to be a, a pretty serious problem that Ford would have addressed prior to it. So maybe they're resisting because, you know, they, they don't want to pay for new doors for all these folks. But that looks like a recall coming in the future on that one. And I want to end with oh, uh, one more a thing story on, out uh, of on recalls. Oh, please, we go, have go, a, um, go. yesterday NHTSA put out. Do not drive warning on some of the Takata vehicles. Let's see. These are the 2000. It was the first known explosion of a passenger side airbag. They've been, you know, we've recalled both driver and passenger side airbags on Takata. And this is the first known passenger side airbag explosion. Um, and it killed someone. It was a 2003 Dodge Ram 1500. These are the vehicles that are now 20 plus years old that they have to be fixed. The rate, the, the, the rate of these things failing is incredibly high. I believe that's at one point put them as high, at least in the Hondas, as a 50% chance if you're in a crash that the airbag inflator will explode and shoot shrapnel at you. So, um, I don't know if any of our listeners own vehicles this old. If you have a family member or anyone else you know that has one of these older Dodge pickups, um, tell them not to drive it. Tell them they need to get it fixed. Make sure that they've gotten it fixed. Yeah. Um, again, this is the whole Takata airbag recall thing. It's a free fix. Please just do it. Do it. Do it. Uh I think I think let's just uh, end the episode there on always a high note of Takata airbags exploding in people's faces. Listeners, thank you for listening again. Please subscribe, tell all your friends, uh, donate once, not once, but twice. No, three times. Donate three times, and uh, the the Tim of Fred, the the Fred of Tau, uh, will come to your hometown and perform hey, at wait, your wait. local uh, Elks Club. Yeah, <laughs> or hey, your local Piggly hey, Wiggly. Yes. How much of a how much of a donation is does a listener have to put in before we give them a free traffic cone? All right, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna go there, huh? All right. No. How much is a traffic? Come on, the logistics on this. We're mailing people traffic cones. 
You're out of your mind. Just go outside, steal a tractor. Figure that out. I'm driving I'm not a long way to do this, but... <laughs> but literally, there are 20-something traffic cones right outside my building, all labeled Con Ed. It's a little... Well, there you go. We got the first 20, <laughs> we've got the first 20 <laughs> listeners covered. Yeah, branded, brought to you by Con- Consolidated Edison. Um, hey, we'll be back next week with more exciting news, and I'll get to that Jalopnik story, which is uh, interesting. And uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.